You ever have one of those days? That guy right there was me about three weeks ago. One of those days when everyone and everything around you is completely beating you up. You react like our stoic friend here in the video, confidently just taking it without lashing out or feeling bad for yourself, just waiting for the pain to stop. You ever had one of those days? It's all about your perspective, you see. For example, the human drum in the video, he's willing to just stand there because his perspective is he's helping make a funny video. For a different perspective on this, try walking up to some random guy on the street with two of your friends and play drums on him. <laughs> but if you do that, please, please, please make sure that somebody's camera phone is rolling video because I'm going to use that one in my next sermon. <laughs> so have you ever had one of those days? I know you have, and there's several people in this room that I know what your those days even look like. Consider this to be a strength, and I'm sticking to that story. I'm an encourager. I'm always saying things like, you get to pick how you respond to hardship, or you don't have to let this bother you so badly. Or to my wife, God will get us through this. He always has. He's not going to suddenly stop. I guess my favorite one is to quote the Japanese author Haruku Murakami, who penned my best ammunition ever in my fight against discouragement. Pain is mandatory. Misery is optional. My wife, my kids, a few others in here know just how very annoying this kind of thing can be when you're having that day. Or how encouraging it can be, because that's a matter of perspective also. Everything is a matter of perspective. So you get to choose whether I bug the crap out of you or, or whether I actually encourage you. And Tammy says, you're right, I can choose to tune you out, fool. <laughs> <laughs> My brother Brent would say, yeah, you're right, because I can smash your face in and make you shut up. I'm just kidding. We had plenty of reasons to kill each other, but he and I were always too good as a team to ever actually go through with it. Maybe you've got somebody in your life like this, someone who tries to help everyone see that things aren't as bad as they appear, or that they are that bad, but that that fact doesn't affect things eternally, so they don't have to make you blow up or give up. By the way, if you think that I'm annoying to have around when you're on your bad day, there's the queen right here. Right here, this is the queen of encouragement. She will drag you out of kicking and screaming out of your bad mood no matter what. I dare you to try to maintain a bad mood around her. Right, Jake? Yeah. Jake knows. <laughs> Jake knows. I certainly do have my bad moments, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm always in a good mood. I can fly very quickly into anger, and sometimes I even flirt with despair. When I was younger, I had the sort of temper that can only be brought about by heavily German-influenced genetics and a really confusing home life in my formative years. <laughs> it's a really bad combination. Even then, I was really resilient and would quickly burn through my anger, usually by throwing things and at least yelling like a fool and letting my blood pressure go into triple digits. But soon after, I would return to my sunny disposition, the one that says, yes, things often stink, but A, they won't always be bad, and B, I don't have to let my outlook be defined by my circumstances. So about three weeks ago, just as I was beginning to work on my sermon, do you believe in coincidences? I don't. Um, I had one of those days. It was right when I was trying to figure out, okay, well, I'm preaching in about three weeks. What am I going to talk about? And God said, you're going to talk about how to deal with the crappy day that I'm going to let you have. <laughs> so 
So I had one of those days. I'd had a really juicy headache the entire day before, and I slept terribly. I woke up with the headache still firmly in place. Strike one. I couldn't find my keys. Strike two. I was running late to work. Strike three. Now I was in a mood. Then I heard a horrible noise from the front wheel of my motorcycle. Strike four. Which I was riding because I'd just found out the day before that my poor car is in the automotive equivalent of hospice care and would have been put down if it were a horse in the same condition. Strike five. Strike five. Five. Then I got to work and found out that all my bacteria in six cultures had died overnight. I had my very own little Petri dish holocaust that basically negated two days of effort. And this is during a time when I'm trying to get some consistent success so I can get like full hired. I'm still an intern. The job is fantastic. The money is terrible. So all my bacteria died. Strike. Six. Then my boss asked for his keys to the lab back because I had worked the weekend before and he was working that weekend. But of course, I had driven the motorcycle that day, so I didn't have my keys with me. Strike seven. So I went home at lunch and couldn't find the keys. Strike eight. Eight. By the time four people had searched for an hour and we finally came up with the keys, I was horribly late getting back to work. Strike nine. Nine! Strike nine. Nine, I tell you. Do you hear me? Nine strikes. That's an entire innings worth of strikes, and I'm only one batter. I had had enough of life for that day. I spent that entire day until about 7 o'clock that evening in a downward spiral of rage and despair that threatened to consume me. I'm talking about the kind of day that makes Jedi Knights change their first name to Darth and then run around the galaxy doing something about it. Gosh, what an awful day. <laughs> Fortunately, however, my family is awesome. They do for me in those times what I try to do for them. My sweet wife and my sweet daughter, they're very encouraging. And two of my sons took me out to dinner. They let me gripe for a little while and get it out of my system. And then they used the, the famous cool medicine, which is humor. And they got me laughing. I ended up much closer to my old buoyant self, thanks to the combined efforts of Team Cool. Good job. <clears throat> so an entire day of misery, that's not like me at all. I haven't had a day that awfully, awfully emotionally negative in a long time. You know what? It's terrible. It's really bad. Now, you may know this already. You have those days? You have those days a lot? You know that there's some people who have those days every single day. There are even some people in the world that don't know another mode in which to operate, who aren't comfortable with the idea of not being unhappy or mad or feeling out of control with everything or feeling threatened. Maybe you've known somebody like this. Maybe you've been somebody like this. Maybe you are somebody like this right now. <clears throat> I think I had my, my horrible, terrible day in order to remind me that some people do feel this way quite often. And for those people, I have fantastic news. If you are one of those people, the Murakami quote is true. Pain is unfortunately mandatory, but misery is most definitely, assuredly, and permanently optional. It's hard for us to see it that way sometimes. Because here's the point. It's all a matter of perspective. Because it's true that you really do get to pick your own attitude. When Tammy and I were first married, we were adjusting to our different approaches to life. 
and that always takes some time in a marriage. We went around and around several times because she couldn't see what I meant about optional misery, and I couldn't see why in the world anybody would ever see it any differently. Our perspectives were just completely different. It was, here's, an, here's an illustration on perspective. Jake, come and help me for, for a second. <clears throat> it's all about just seeing things in a different way. And sometimes we just absolutely cannot see what another person is trying to tell us from where we are. <clears throat> Jake, you did a real good job this morning. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. I'm very... You good? You on? Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you did a really good job this morning. I'm very proud of you. I, I, I bought you a, a cup of free coffee in the back. Sweet. So Where go ahead it? and have some coffee. Where is it? It's right there, right, right beside you. Where is it? It's about two feet to your left, man. Are you blind? Nope. Coffee? Where's coffee? I want coffee. Perspective. Oh, coffee. Okay, perspective boy. Is that, coffee, is that cup half empty or half full? Uh, actually, it's completely full. Half of coffee and half of air. Learn quickly, you do, my Padawan. <laughs> I can keep this, right? Yes. <laughs> he couldn't see it from where he was sitting, and that's what perspective is all about. The, back, the fact that we don't have enough information. Now, if that can affect, you know something in a simple illustration like this, or if that can affect something like trying to communicate with your spouse or with a friend, um, then think about how that applies to our view of the cosmos, our limited little view of the big mighty cosmos that our infinite God made. <clears throat> you can easily imagine how our, perceptive, how our perspective keeps us from seeing things as they really are. The Bible says it this way, among others. It's the same with us. Now we see a dim reflection, as if we were looking into a mirror. But then we shall see clearly. Now I know only a part, but then I will know fully, as God has known me. Or as my grandmother might so melodically put it, we will understand it better by and by. In other words, I don't have to know how God is going to work everything out in order to trust that God is going to work everything out. So how can you do what Tammy did and learn how to incorporate some chill into your perspective? Fortunately, as an attendee of the Max Vanderpool School of Expository Preaching, I've come equipped with two very practical things you can do to fend off despair, banish rage, and become an annoying encouragement to all the miserable souls in your sphere of influence. <laughs> One of them is philosophical, and the other thing is, is spiritual. First, the philosophical. We have to realize that an eternal perspective is the one we, that we need. The small problems of today, and really, no matter how bad the day was, losing car keys is, doesn't change the course of history most of the time. The small problems of today don't have any eternal significance. The simple act of remembering this on purpose is more effective than you can possibly imagine if you've never tried it. Right? So, that helps us hold the small stuff at bay. Okay, Christopher, what about the big stuff? But that's the rub. Almost none of the stuff that we encounter in this life is nearly as big as we think it is at the time because we're looking at it with the wrong perspective. Just a little like Jake was supposedly convinced that there was no coffee. The difference between temporal and eternal perspective is a little like when you're learning to drive and you have to figure out that you don't watch the road eight feet in front of your car because if you do, then you're swerving. 
back and forth and you're reacting like violently with the wheel to every little thing. But if you look out ahead of where you're going, then your trip is much smoother, not only because you see things coming earlier, but because it's easier to judge your position in the lane and you're not going all over the place. <clears throat> Jesus endorses this philosophy, by the way, which means he invented it when you think about it. Matthew 6, 25 through 27 says, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? Tammy's laughing because I used to tell her these verses all the time. And your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And in John 14, 27, this is one of my favorite verses. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. That slide says New Living Translation, but it's actually NIV. Jesus says, my peace I give you. What kind of peace does Jesus have exactly if he's going to give that to us? Does that mean that we can actually truly have peace? Well, if it's the peace that Jesus himself has, then... I'd say that's pretty peaceful. It's the kind of peace that let him sleep in the fishing boat when the storm was raging all around them. It's the kind of peace that let him pray, not my will, Father, but yours be done, and really mean it. He didn't say that because he's been told in church all his life that that's the way he should be trying to approach God. Because that's kind of a hard one sometimes. But he really meant that. He had the kind of peace through which he prayed for the forgiveness of his torturers and his executioners. That's peace. And he says, here you go. Have some of my peace. That's the peace that Jesus gives us if we look to him for our salvation and our strength, for our wisdom and our purpose. This, this here and now, this life, it's just the short bit before eternity, and that's something important to keep in mind when you're trying to not run the guy ahead of you off the road or fling your keys across the room or despair and feel like there's no hope. This life is like the, the hassle and unpleasantness of basic training that my brother Brian went through before his much longer, much better, enjoyable Air Force career. He had to go through a couple of months of, what the heck did I get myself into? Before he got into the much, much better, longer part. So when the pains and annoyances of this life come, remind yourself of eternity. Whatever you're suffering, it won't last forever. Now, Ask yourself if that sounds easy and flippant and glib and yeah, 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 yeah. Or if it sounds encouraging and uplifting. Ask yourself that. The answer will reveal something to you about your own eternal perspective or your lack of it. My dad, Herbert the Magnificent, boiled this down for some of us kids a long time ago in a proposition that we thereafter named the Herb Thesis. It started as a hypothesis, it became a theory with regular experience and use, and then it graduated to a thesis when it was proven that it actually worked in our lives. Yay, scientific method. My dad was actually Dr. Cool. Isaiah calls me that, but my dad was actually Dr. Cool. <laughs> uh, he stated it this way, if something can't affect me in a hundred years, then forget it. It's a great view. He first told me this in a conversation about my working my nerve up to ask a girl out. But it turns out that this very little concept applies completely to everything in life. 
baseball pitcher Tug McGraw had a great philosophy of pitching that grew, drew on the same idea. He called it his frozen snowball theory. He said, if I come in to pitch with the bases loaded and heavy hitter Willie Stargell is at bat, there's no reason I want to throw the ball. But eventually I have to pitch. So I remind myself that in a few billion years, the earth will become a frozen snowball hurtling through space, and nobody's going to care what Willie Stargell did with the bases loaded. Now, I, agree, I disagree with Mr. McGraw about the eventual fate of the world, but I do think that his perspective and his intentional grasping of it is right on. That's the philosophical view that helps with our perspective. The other thing, the spiritual thing, the bigger, more important thing, is so simple that half of you churchy people are going to roll your eyes at me for even saying it. Immerse yourself in the Bible and in prayer. Every day, says the world's biggest hypocrite standing here before you. This really is the key, though, to everything about Christian growth, and that includes developing our eternal perspective that will make the, the things about this life lose their power over us, whether they relate to materialism and charity, or as we're talking about today, self-control and patience and, and most of all, hope. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world, this flesh, is to allow our circumstances to dictate how we perceive each day. But we're called to a much higher understanding of eternity, a much better perspective of where we fit in and how all the little things in life don't. If you spend time in the Word of God, then you'll become armed with passages like these. And I didn't put these up. I'm just going to run through a few just to show you how much stuff is in here about encouragement and perspective. Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 56:3. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now see, if I'd been reading stuff like this instead of running around yelling at everybody on the day that I had my Samoan drum day, that's what I call it now, um, then I would have been in much better, much better shape. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overcome, overcome, overtaken you Sorry, uh, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Romans 1, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's a good one. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This, but it's not merely about putting words like this into your head. Spending time with God in study and prayer will put these words into your heart as well, into the very soul of you, turning you more and more into the kind of person who thinks this way and doesn't just try to latch on to these verses as a coping mechanism when you have your Samoan drum day. It will really get into the heart of you and change who you are. Bottom line, get the right perspective. When Goliath came against the Israelites, the soldiers all thought, he's so big we can never kill him. And David said, he's so big I can't miss. That kind of change, that kind of perspective change, is accomplished by intentionally thinking about eternity 
and by spending time in the Bible and in prayer. You try it for 30 days, and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong. I promise I know which way it'll go. Let's pray.